the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today, the topic is facing death and turning lemons into lemonade. My guests are going to be putting their feet up on my couch. I have two guests today. The first is Robert Rosen, and in the second half of the show, uh, Leanne Luttrell, who is the wife of the Backstreet Boys, Brian Luttrell. What do you think they have in common? They both are doing something quite awesome and um, (laughs) turning lemons into lemonade. And they both founded amazing charities to help people with life-threatening medical problems. Robert Rosen, who we'll be talking to now, was diagnosed with polycythemia vera, which is a type of blood cancer. And I will let him um, talk more about that. And then we will clue you in about uh, Brian Luttrell and, and what their foundation is during the second half of the show. So, Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Carol. Now, um, why don't we start out with, just chron- I, I like to, as a psychiatrist, I like to do things chronologically. We won't start today with uh, when you were born, which is what I usually start out with. 1943. <laughs> well, actually, not just when, I mean, you know, how and the circumstances and all of that. Since we're only going to be talking for half an hour, we'll, we'll go ahead a little bit, although there may certainly be things, um, uh, talking about how you were diagnosed with polycythemia vera, there certainly um, there would be things that related to how you accepted that and what you how you felt certainly does relate to uh, your earlier years. But why don't we start with that? There you were, a successful commercial real estate executive, minding your own business. When one day, I'm uh, I should finish the sentence. One day I was uh, playing basketball with my friends in an over in a league for older gentlemen uh, over a seniors league for over 50 and actually we were practicing for a tournament one summer and i started to develop unexplained pains in my uh, feet and occasionally in my fingers which i later learned called neuropathies and they would come and go and i noticed if i took an aspirin the pains would go away but when they came back they would come back with increasing uh, intensity and increasing frequency uh but I ignored it, right, because I'm athletic and I'd always been healthy, and I thought it was something I would just play through or work through or it would disappear on its own. Uh, after six months of this, uh, my wife finally said, you know, why don't you go to a doctor? And uh, it was hard for me to ignore that advice much as I would like to. And uh, I went to see my internist, and he ordered a blood test. And usually when I see this doctor, I get a, a phone call about three days later with the results, and they're always okay. Uh, this time, uh, two weeks went by, and I never heard from the guy. So I called him one day from the car phone, and I could hear this sort of hesitation in his voice, and he said, well, 
we're sending these tests back for another run because something didn't look right. And then I got that feeling in my stomach, you know, when things don't, when you get really scared. And, and that's how it began. Hmm. So he had been trying to, uh, he didn't really want to tell you what he thought the diagnosis was until he checked it out further. I tried to find out from him, and he, he mentioned something like, you have too many red blood cells, uh, but he didn't want to give me any details. And uh, uh, eventually uh, uh, referred me to an excellent hematologist at the Rush Hospital in Chicago, Rush Press St. Luke's. And I was diagnosed fairly quickly with this thing called polycythemia vera, which is one of three diseases, or uh, we prefer to call them disorders, in the category of the myeloproliferative disorders, or in short, MPD. I was lucky because uh, one of the biggest problems with these disorders is not getting diagnosed quickly. Mm. Uh, it's not, they're not well known. We think they're more common than people believe, but they're not well known, and if you don't get diagnosed quickly, you run a really big uh, risk of uh, blood clots or strokes, heart attacks, things like that. Uh, yeah, we have that, uh, that would be the first way that it would be diagnosed, so you were, as I'm sure they told you, how lucky you were, right? I, I, I suppose, you know, there's uh, bad luck and there's good luck, and this was the, the good luck part of the bad luck. Right. So how did you feel when, I guess, the hematologist um told you what the diagnosis was and explained it to you? Well, you know, I guess I'm like other people who feel that you don't have to worry about your mortality, and I'd always been healthy and physically active, and I, I just couldn't make sense of this thing, and I was, just, I was just scared to death, to tell you the truth. And I remember asking the doctor, I said, you know, what's my life expectancy? Mm -hmm. should, I, should I get my, my things in order? Should I make sure I have a will? And who's, where's, excuse me, where's the research being done? So is there some hope for me? So he said, he said the following things. Get your things in order. I think it's always a good idea. He said, you got 10 to 13 years, which, huh. which turned out to be, uh, well, I'm, I'm not even at the 10 year mark, but we, we believe that the, the life expectancy is, is longer, quite a bit longer than that for this particular subcategory. Uh, and then he said, uh, there's, to my knowledge, he said, there's very little research being done in America, and there are no efficacy groups. So that really made me feel... What do you mean by an efficacy group? Advocacy group. Advocacy group. Right. Uh, there were no uh, not-for-profit groups that were trying to support and promote medical research in this area. And I had been reading about the human genome in all the magazines, this is 1997, and it just seemed to me that <laughs> that wasn't right, that there was too much opportunity for medical progress as the genome was being understood. And I couldn't figure out why nobody was working in this area. Mm -hmm. So uh, it took me a while to convert my, I would say, my fear and my frustration into something uh, more constructive but I developed an idea to do it. Well, you must have felt um, betrayed at the time that you were diagnosed, betrayed by your body, by the doctors, by society, you know, society not having. You'd think that whatever it is that you get diagnosed with, I think most people believe um, that there would be an advocacy group or there would be research, that there would be at least that reassurance that there's hope. I was, I felt lonely. <laughs> Excuse me. On, on, on top of the, the yes. frustration, 
I remember a sense of loneliness, and I, I asked the doctor, I said, Who, whom else can I talk to about this? Where can I get even some support or some idea of what uh, uh, experiences other people have had, other patients have had? And I, I remember I tracked down an older woman in Hyde Park, uh, you know, in the south side of Chicago, whom, who didn't know me uh, at all, and I just called her out of the blue and said, uh, and she was a patient. She was a PV patient. And I asked if I could come over to her apartment one day and just ask her what it was like to be a patient. That's Where how did desperate. you? How did you get her name? It was a random friend. I was telling somebody, and I said, oh, I, I think I know somebody huh. who has this." Okay. So uh, I was. I didn't know where to turn. So that, but so you found that helpful, at least being able to talk to one other person who had been diagnosed earlier than you and knew something about it. I would say the, f- the first need I had was to talk to other people who could share the experience and, supp- and offer emotional support and also informational re- uh, support. Yes. The, the uh, absence of an advocacy group really meant that there, were, uh, there was no, no information available. Um, if you're diagnosed with leukemia, uh, and if you're unfortunate to be diagnosed with leukemia, there's printed material that your doctor will usually have that's, a, that's frequently supplied by the LLS or Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And at least you can go home with something to read. Or there's a website where there's information. I couldn't find any of that. Yeah. I, I, was, I felt very alone. Yes, I would imagine so then how did you turn it around to um, start doing productive things for yourself and for others? Um, I actually went to a, a, a conference in 19, I can't remember, 1997 or 1998 in San Diego, which was, uh, there was a wonderful hematologist in New York City named Harriet Gilbert who sponsored a conference for both uh, MPD patients and MPD doctors. And I flew out to San Diego because it would be a chance to meet other people in a similar situation. And I saw that there were some doctors doing research, and particularly some in in, um, in Italy and in Germany. Mm. And I got the idea that this ought to be more organized. And I started thinking about my experience in the business world, about how we would organize a project to solve a problem. Then in Chicago, I heard about another businessman who had the same disease I had, but I got the information sort of uh, in a way that I shouldn't have. It, it was, it was um, leaked to me in a way by somebody at the hospital who said, oh, you have the same disease that mm. <clears throat> this person has. Mm. And... I wanted to go, and I know this other person. I wanted to go talk to him, but I was afraid to do it because uh, I, I came about the information the way right. I did. Um, finally, I picked up the phone. I called him, and the fellow's name was Bob Pritzker. And I said, uh, Bob, you may remember me. Can I come over? I'd like to talk to you about the myeloproliferative disorders, polycythemia vera in particular. And he said, I know a little bit about that. Why don't you come over and let's talk? And then we started working up the idea for a foundation. Hmm. Um, I also had help from uh, a woman who ran and still does run an email support group. Uh, her name is Joyce Nyblack, and then a, 
uh, introduced to an, another uh, potential board member in New York City uh, who's still on our board, a guy named Woody Woodruff. And the four of us put together the bare bones of this foundation. Well, that's and and what year was that? That this you was uh, we launched it about 1990. 1990. Yeah. You, you don't mean. I'm sorry. What did I say? Nine, uh, the year 2000. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I was thinking if you were only diagnosed in 97. <laughs> no, that would have been going backwards. No, it was, a, it was 2000. 2000. Right. Well, okay. When we come back, we'll hear about some of the progress that your organization has made. Okay. And uh, some of your own progress and uh, how other people now are going to be less likely to have to feel that loneliness. We hope so. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today with Robert Rosen who is the president of the MPD Foundation, Myeloproliferative Disorders. It's a big mouthful. And when we come back, we'll hear more about how he turned his experience into something positive, not only for himself, but for others. Informative, educational, insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you have questions concerning your personal portfolio? And would you like to know where the market's going before it gets there? Then you need to tune in to Elite Masters of Trading, hosted by the trader's coach, Robin Dane, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Robin has great ideas on how to invest, save, and make money. So become an elite trader in the market every Wednesday at 10 a.m. with the trader's coach, Robin Dane, and Elite Masters of Trading, right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Information you need, when you need it. VoiceAmerica.com Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Eva, we have two great conversations with two great authors. We talk with Tracy Hickman less about his new book, Mystic Quest, and more about the Serenity role-playing game. Then we talk to Bob Salvatore about his new book, Promise for the Witch King. That's this week on the Dragon Page with Michael and Evo. That's the Dragon Page, every Saturday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Robert Rosen. He uh, is has been telling us about how he was diagnosed with polycythemia vera, one of the myeloproliferative disorders, and um, how that led him to develop a foundation, the MPD foundation, that will be helping people with these disorders. Um, That's just one of them. They're essentially, the disorders are essentially a kind of cancer of the blood and um, that has been neglected. By research, actually, you should tell um, us about that. Why it is that there? I mean, that's kind of a key point. Why it is that there was um, no research going on that you could find when you were diagnosed? Well, I don't want to say no research well, because there were there are a number of doctors at John Hopkins and in New York and other places that have done research, but it, it was uh, uh, hit and miss, and there was no advocacy groups, right. and, I, and I really can't tell you why there isn't more research. So one thing I can say is uh, it's not a disease that you tend to get when you are very young. So it happens to people generally over 30, 40, or 50 years old, and uh, uh, two of the three variations, if you catch them early enough, are treatable, and the third variation it can run a different uh, Cycles, depending on things that we don't know about. Well, which which are the treatable ones? The the the, the uh, polycythemia vera, which I have, and then something called uh, essential thrombocythemia, uh, tend to be more treatable, um, not curable. And the uh, the third disease is some the third subcategory is something called myelofibrosis, which is the most urgent of the three. Okay, but now I know that um, your organization, uh, a major reason why there wasn't more research, let's put it that way, um, on finding treatments and cures is because in the United States um, there there aren't as many people with this disorder, or at least who know they have the disorder, Um, I saw in your literature less than 200,000 people in the United States and the pharmaceutical industry isn't really interested in um, putting a lot of money into research. I mean, it's kind of uh, blunt, but well, <laughs> it's the a, unfortunate it's, truth. Right. It's a major issue, and it's one of the reasons why we started the foundation is to sort of kickstart some research. And I will also say that we have recently uh, initiated an epidemiology study because we have insurance company data that suggests that this is a much more widespread disorder than mm-hmm. was commonly thought, uh, and we'll and that we uh, working with uh, a researcher at Yale, and when we get the results of that study, we believe it's going to change the way this disease is uh, viewed in the country. Yes, because then of course there would be more interest um, in right. pharmaceutical companies since there would be more potential patients. You know, one thing I was interested in is, do you think? Um, from what the research has shown so far, do you think that it's not only going to be a matter of um, discovering that there are more people with these disorders because of um, 
trying to look for that, but also uh, do you think that there actually is some suggestion that there is an increase in these illnesses, possibly because of all the pollutants and changes in our environment? Uh, I don't have a good answer. Many people ask that question as, as I did when I was diagnosed, and there's not enough information to suggest uh, that there is. The disease is caused by a gene which mutates in your body, uh, and we don't know what causes the initial uh, mutation. And maybe 10 or 20 years from now, there will be enough information so we can have a plausible theory, but we don't have that now. Uh, I can tell you that when, when we got the idea of starting the foundation, we were very clear on what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it to create some form and structure to the solution of the problem. Yes. And uh, we wanted to clearly state our purpose, which was to uh, initiate, advocate, fund, and support medical research in this specifically in this area. We wanted to find good scientists, medical researchers who could do the work. We wanted to be able to make sure that the work they did was appropriate and uh, would have a good chance of advancing the science, advancing the state of knowledge. And then uh, in order to do all of the above, we, we had to get money. And we thought if we could work on those four imperatives that we would have a good chance of making this uh, a, a successful foundation. And, and I believe that we are, we are doing well. Uh, and then we tried to support all this with an excellent volunteer board, which I can't say enough good things about our board. And um, uh, what also on your website, which we'll give out at the end of uh, you know at the end of this half hour, um, there is all there are also resources for people to find support groups uh, to sort to take care of the problems or feelings that other people had when they were first diagnosed, like you had, of wanting to get in touch with people with these disorders. Right. We try, we try to be a source of information and also a source where on the website you can link to, to other uh, either support groups or hospitals that are doing research or other uh, areas, uh, other links that might be able to provide information for those who need it, and they usually need it very quickly. Uh, so that's one of the purposes of, of the website. We also try to share medical information, and we try to update people on the research that we have funded. Uh, since we started, we funded uh, nine uh, scientific research grants, uh, two organizational grants, and one uh, epide epidemiology study. And now we have developed an idea about changing the way in which we fund research based on a, a recent genetic discovery of a, of a gene that we think might be uh, a, a causal link in the development of the disease. And we're, we're going to redirect our research towards specifically towards trying to find a targeted cure uh, uh, that, would, that you could uh, to, to fix the gene that we believe is broken. You know, you must be feeling as though you're racing against time. That's a big issue for us. We're a patient-run foundation. And one of the characteristics, I believe, of a patient-run foundation is you the people who run it have a sense of their own mortality and an overall sense of urgency. And so we don't uh, we, we move ahead as quickly as possible. We are not professionals in the sense that we're 
this is just another job. We're working to defend our own health and potentially the health of our <coughs> friends and family. Well, yes. Did you know, I guess, is the genetic research um, far enough ahead so that you could have people in your family tested? Do you have children? Uh, a, te- a test head is in the process of being developed. We don't think we don't think the disorder is transmitted, uh, for the most part, uh, between members of uh, same family. Although there are some cases where, where that has happened, uh, what we're really working on now is trying to pull together a new model for research, which we call a collaborative model, where we can get a number of institutions working together, sharing information. And uh, with a specific goal of uh, hopefully creating a new drug or drugs which can treat this disease. And have you? Um, how has your? I mean, you know, I guess I guess the thing is, there are so many people who I mean, X number. We don't know how many people who have died from strokes or heart attacks um, where. There aren't autopsies, or the autopsies don't look for this kind of disorder. So there right. really could be a, so many more people who just get, um, just have as the first symptom something that is uh, that causes them to die. Right. Um, Again. Yeah. No, I mean, I, my grandfather suffered a series of minor strokes uh, before he died uh, in the. 1950s and 1960s. Well, there was no way to diagnose this disease back then, but it was re- completely possible that he had one of these variations. Right. That's what I was thinking. Right. That perhaps there were people in your family who just died of heart attacks or strokes right. or something like that, and, and we would never know. Right. Right. Exactly. And uh, that's because there was so little information. Uh, mm-hmm. we, 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 think that's, we think that's changed, and we think the foundation has had something to do with developing a more aware medical culture in this country uh, to understand these disorders when they occur and understand the symptoms when you see them. Well, I certainly uh, I certainly wish you um, a lot of luck with what you're doing. I think uh, it must be, did you give up your other work? You're doing this full-time. Uh, pretty much full-time. We had sold our business and the timing, you, you know, uh, worked out well and this is a uh, much a full-time job for me and also for a number of our volunteer board members uh, about whom I cannot say enough good things. So, well, I, I would um, yes, I would, I, I would imagine that it's very different when you're involved in an organization uh, like this, the foundation to help people with medical problems and when you have the problem yourself, it obviously does give put more passion into the whole... Oh yes, there's no shortage of interest. <laughs> The whole organization. Well, tell us about what people can do and where people can um, give us the, the website address. And All right, the website address is www.m as in Mary, p as in Peter, d as in David, Foundation, MPD Foundation, one word, dot org. And uh, on the website, you can learn how to contact us, and you can find other uh, sources or resources that might be of use. And I, I would say the. The, the overall message that we develop for ourselves is uh, if, if you have a medical problem in this day and age of scientific discovery, the uh, human genome and uh, an era of real and uh, potential medical miracles, don't give up. There's, there's, there's hope and there's opportunity and there's resources that you can work with. 
Yes, I think that that is the most important message because so many people just get so um, saddened and get caught up in their negative emotions, of course, being being diagnosed with something that is so poorly understood that it really took a gigantic um, effort to uh, get out from under all that and to do as much as you've already been doing, no less the plans for the future. Well, so, thank you very much, Dr. Carroll. So congratulations on that, and there are a lot of people who, um, who are very grateful to you. <laughs> and I wish you well. Well, thank you. Your own, um, you know, certainly psychologically speaking, this is something that should be helping your own disorder, not just, you know, whether or not you find a cure. Um, just the, the fact that you're doing all this good work is something in itself that through psychoneuroimmunology will be helping you, has been helping you. I, I believe so. Well, thank you again. That's Robert Rosen. He is the president of the MPD Foundation, which is the Myeloproliferative Disorder Foundation. And you can find them on the web at mpdfoundation.org. That's Amazon Mary, P is in Peter, D is in David, foundation.org. And so look that up and, um, and think about your own family. This is why you need to get a good annual checkup. <laughs> Next guest coming up is Leanne Luttrell. She is the wife of Backstreet Boys' Brian Luttrell. And you will find out what she and Robert Rosen have in common. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you feeling stuck in some part of your life? You might have some crust busting to do. Crust is anything that you think, feel, or believe that prevents you from living life full out. Step into the crust-free zone with me, Dr. Pat Basile, and get ready to do some serious crust busting. Join us on Thursday mornings on voiceamerica.com at 8 a.m. Pacific time for crust busting your way to an awesome life. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. 
Cutting edge. Challenging. Stimulating. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. When tax time comes, are you the person that goes to your accountant with a shoebox literally full of receipts? Stop wasting your accountant's time as well as your own by organizing your finances with the help of Joe Dunphy and Poor Richard's Shoebox. Heard live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poor Richard's Shoebox will let you know what you can do to organize for tax time as well as how to get the most out of your retirement. So get all of your receipts together and tune in to Poor Richard's Shoebox with Joe Dunphy every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Business, sports, religion, legal, pets, entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about the topic, Facing Death and Turning Lemons into Lemonade. We've already talked with Robert Rosen, who is the president of the MPD Foundation. And now you're going to find out what he has in common with Leanne Luttrell, who is the wife of Backstreet Boys' Brian Luttrell. And that is that they both founded charities to help people with life-threatening medical problems and um, Leanne who is uh, going to tell us about what uh, Brian um, had to cope with beginning when he was just born, actually. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, Leanne. Hi. So tell us, let's talk first about what it is that uh, Brian's experience was, his medical problem, and then how you turned that into lemonade. <laughs> Well, um, basically, Brian was born with a heart murmur or a ventricular septical defect, basically, and and um, Which basically is a, what? Pardon me. Were you going to describe that? Yeah, it's basically like a hole. It's a heart murmur, like it's it's a hole in your heart, basically. And a lot of people are born with it, but um, theirs closes up over time, so it's not like it's to be extremely alarmed, you know. But uh, unfortunately, Brian did not close up. And yes, it, there, the, the, it was a, a hole in between the left and right ventricle of his heart, and mm-hmm. the fact that when the blood was passing through that hole, as it was not supposed to do, it made uh, a sound that you don't usually hear in a healthy heart, which is the murmur. That was the symptom right. of it. Right, and to, for you to imagine what a murmur sounds like, it almost sounds like a washing machine effect. It's like mm-hmm. a, a swishing effect. Yes. And um, I remember um, I, the first time I heard it, it was it broke my heart because when he told me, I was like, oh, you know, I, I don't understand. So he explained it to me, and then I put my ear to his heart, mm. and you can actually hear it on your mm. chest. Okay. And when did he, so when did it first start to affect him? Um when he was probably around the age of five, he got into an accident and he skinned his knee. And um, it was a just a small, like, a skin to his knee. It was an oral infection. Apparently, this infection set up shop and went all over his body, had a staph infection. And um, they didn't know this until he had another accident where his brother accidentally ran over him with a bike and he bonked his head pretty good and they went to the doctor which I'm laughing now because it's you know it's funny 
the way God works. But uh, yes. when they went to the doctor, they found out that he had had an infection, a staph infection from the scant knee, and it actually ate another hole in the back of Brian's heart that huh. we didn't know about until uh, he went in for his heart surgery. So Brian's heart, over time, you know, they checked on it, and, they, you know, every year he went to the doctor, um, started growing from, you know, the stress of his life. And, you know, normal activity might not have um, caused it to grow so fast. But because of he was so um, athletic and on tour and the stress of everything, his heart started growing and growing. And he really didn't have any symptoms um, like that you would expect. I mean, he didn't have the normal symptoms. So, you know, it's... Um, it's surprising that you know, we finally, you know, year after year, he goes in and he gets the heart checkups. They finally noticed that his heart was growing uh, extremely large for him. And that's when they had to go in and do the surgery. It was only once they got in, you know, basically holding his heart in the doctor's hands that they turned it over and found another hole. And that was from that you know, accident when he was five. So... Um... So when he was five and he um, had the infection that went all through his bloodstream and, mm-hmm. and inc- including his heart, I mean that was the um, what they call a bacterial endocarditis. That 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 is the risk that people have when they have um, uh, mm-hmm. murmurs or holes in their heart um, because because it's, the heart is much more vulnerable to to grabbing on to the clumps of infection. And um, and I guess that's what ate ate out part of his heart. But so in other words, um, and he almost died when he was five, right? Absolutely. The doctors, you know, gave up. I, I know he had high fevers, and you know, back then they did, you know, stick him in the ice water to break bring their fever down, and his heart actually stopped from the mm-hmm. shock, from the fever and the cold, and you know, the the I think it was like one of seven point. Seven was his fever at the time, and um, you know that right there could cause brain damage. I right. mean, it was it was amazing. So um, his heart stopped. They got it back, and the doctors were like, you know, call a preacher in, you know, have a party, mm-hmm. do what you need to do, because we don't think your son's going to make it. Now, all of this was still when he was five. You yeah. Talking, you're talking, huh? Yeah. And um, and then he did make it, and then when yeah. his. And then when his brother ran over him, well, when was that? <laughs> well, that was actually the reason they went in. He, um, I mean, how old like, was he? He was five. That's when they, everything went down. He got, um, I don't know exactly the time frame between the skint knee and I think it was like two weeks before Brian got a skint knee, and he didn't want to tell his mother because he was doing something, riding on trails that he wasn't supposed to be riding on with a bike or something. I'm not sure. But he got a skint knee, and two weeks later he got run over with a bike from his brother, and that's why he was in the hospital. I see, I see, okay. But then the, at that time, though, they thought that the um, the danger that they thought he was in was because of the infection and because of his fever. They didn't realize then how serious, you know, what, what a, uh, that it had left, or maybe it was just beginning to leave, this permanent scar in his heart. Absolutely. And then, and then when he got to be 23 was when um, the next event it's- happened? Yes, yes. I guess he went for a routine checkup, and they noticed, you know, his heart had grown exceptionally large. I think they said for a like a 250-pound, 300-pound linebacker should have mm-hmm. a heart his size. 
So um, that's when they, they had to do surgery. And we planned it, and it got pushed back um, from tour dates, and then we had to plan it again, and that was it. We just, you know, went in. And then we realized when you went in that it was even worse than they thought. But they couldn't. I mean, they did echocardiograms. They did everything. They did sonograms. They never saw the other hole in hmm. the heart. Hmm. And um, was he having symptoms at that point? No, I mean, he never really, occasionally you would get tired. Like when he, what I noticed, because he said he never really had symptoms, and what I noticed at the time was whenever he would be in a stressful situation, he would get extremely tired and mm-hmm. just check out. But that was about it. I mean, he never, shortness of breath, I mean, no dizzy, no none of that, which is kind of what's scary. That's why it's so important for people to get checkups and, you know, um, eat right and exercise. You know, because what is in the news now, you know, there's a lot of athletes, young athletes, just, you know, dying from heart disease they didn't even know about. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, um, and and so he had the surgery. Where where did he have the surgery? At the Mayo Clinic. Uh Uh-huh. And um, then he was right as rain? (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's great because when we went to, we did the Mayo Clinic, he was out, he had a small fever after we had to stay in uh, an extra day, but we were only there, I think, three days in recovery, and then we had to stay around, uh, in and out of the hospital for four days, sorry, and then we stayed around one day to make sure his fever wouldn't um, elevate again and got to go home. Uh, he recuperated for four about, days. I'm just yeah. realizing what you're saying. Was, <laughs> he was up and walking around with his, you know, his IV, walking little circles around the nurses' station, and it was amazing. He looked when he came out of surgery. You know, they prepare you for the worst that he was going to look horrible and bloated, and he was he looked beautiful. He was just it was absolutely amazing. But mm-hmm. we did rehab in Orlando, Florida, because that's where we lived at the time, and he just. The, just the ladies were the nurses at the rehab center were just blown away because they usually have, you know, 70 and 80 year old patients in there. And, uh, you know, Brian was doing all the bikes and the rehab and they were going, oh, you can't go too fast. Yeah. And, I mean, he did really, really well, but he was in probably the best shape of his life. But I think we were in rehab after surgery and to his first concert, it was, I think, eight weeks that he was right back on tour. Hmm. Wow. Okay. And then where did you, when did you get the idea to develop a foundation? How did that come about? We, um, gosh, right around his heart surgery, before his heart surgery, we realized had we known when Brian was young, if we had had a program that, you know, someone could say, you know, you have to eat right, you have to exercise correctly. If we had a program like we created, it would have helped so much um, in Brian's, you know, his being raised, you know, basically his mother raising him and how to eat and, you know, problems also in their family as you grow up and, you know, if you don't eat right in your adult life. We just realized there was nothing like that and because of, you know, Brian was at the height of his career and we were, you know, able to start a foundation to create awareness, that's when it started. Mm. Mm. And um, we're probably going to be taking a break. Yes, I thought we'd be hearing the music soon. Um, We're going to be taking a break now, but when we come back, um, I would like you to tell us all about this foundation and how it's grown and what you do and uh, how you've been able to share 
the love and appreciation in your hearts to fix other people's hearts. <laughs> so when we come back, we'll talk more about facing death and turning lemons into lemonade um, with my guest, Leanne Luttrell, the wife of Backstreet Boys, Brian Luttrell. And um, we'll tell you more about where, how you can find out about this uh, organization, this foundation, and um, for you or your children. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Getterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is voiceamerica.com. Depend on it. Hello, this is Rory Goray, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet talk radio. radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today uh, in this half of the show with Leanne Luttrell. She is the wife of Backstreet Boys' Brian Luttrell. And, you know, during the break, um, I was, we had an interesting conversation because I was, of course, with my psychiatrist hat on, um, analyzing that the reason why Brian was now headed towards, on his own, um, doing some religious music um, was because of what she had just been telling us about this experience when he was five, when they thought he was going to die, and they called in 
the preacher, and I thought, you know, obviously that must have been a very <laughs> traumatic moment, which um, affected the rest of his life, and I figured that that's why he was uh, getting to this music now. But why don't you tell everyone <laughs> what you told me? Because because it is true, what, you know, that the... The idea that God did have bigger plans, which includes, you know, which relates back to this foundation that you're doing. So go mm-hmm. ahead. Well, Brian was in high school, and he got a scholarship to Cincinnati Bible College to sing. And um, Brian thought pretty much that that's where he was going, that he was going to go and go into youth ministry and um, was going to follow the ways of the church, and, you know, that's how he was going to grow up. And he got a call from Kevin Richardson to audition for the Backstreet Boys, and that's and he left to go do that. And so I think he had to be in a, the biggest pop group there is to, in order to be able to, you know, start this foundation and for people to listen to him. And then now going into a inspirational a Christian pop, you know, with all these things, this solo album that he's coming out with, uh, May 2nd, actually. Well, that, that's, it is, God does work in strange ways, you know, because I bet you there were a lot of people who thought, um, that he had sort of fallen off <laughs> the right path when he exactly. joined the Backstreet. Well, you know, it's funny, too, because when he had the operation in the hospital, you know, the doctors were just dumbfounded. And when the nurse came out to you know, give us the progress on Brian, she said, he's our angel. He, she said, we're, we're just still not, we don't understand how he can be walking around with these, like mm-hmm. this much going on in his heart. He's like our little angel. They were calling him their walking angel. So it's so funny, and then, you know, of course, um, the steps, if you ever read any of the thank yous in Brian's album, to always think, you know, the Lord first for where he is, and he's always stayed true to that. Hmm. So, and but, he's staying in the Backstreet Boys. There's still going to be Backstreet Boys. He's just doing this project in addition to. Right. Well, I just mean, though, that, you know, people, like, people at college who would have expected him to go there would have thought, you're, you're <laughs> turning us down for what? <laughs> right. He's like, what a bad seed. He knew that he was exactly. Right. exactly. Okay, so tell us now about the foundation. Well, the foundation, um, the reason we're doing this now, too, because, you know, we obviously have uh, had it since 99. We created it. Uh, we've had several clubs, and we've changed some just children's lives, thank the Lord, basically. We've changed their... Um, the way their parents think is is so important too. The way they you know don't stop by McDonald's and grab you know a, a hamburger instead of just going home and eating a nutritional lunch or or dinner. But we um, have gotten more uh, interest from people all over the world that give us donations and you know are so interested in this club. And we've only been able to help people in Kentucky because that's where the club is based. And so we, you know, we were... Um, because we that's where with, Brian was raised. Exactly, born and raised, and that's where we started it, um, at the hospital there. And then we broke off on our own because we were using the YMCAs to do clubs. And so now we're trying to uh, get a club started on our own. Uh, we don't have one in progress right now, but we have our um, surgical assistant fund that also it basically aids people that are going to get heart surgeries for their children, uh, it, like with expenses that the insurance doesn't cover. So because with us, I mean, we had to travel to Mayo. We had to pay for our hotel room. We had to pay for food. You know, it's a lot of money. And, you know, you don't, that's why you have insurance. So the insurance doesn't fork over money for you to, you know, eat and lodging and things like that while you're having the surgery. And usually the whole family has to go. So we have a surgical assistant fund that we um, help 
families are actually helping a family right now when their infant son is getting um, one of one of many heart surgeries. So we sold bands on tour, um, and all the proceeds from the band went into the surgical assistance fund, and we have raised um, over thirty thousand dollars so far hmm. in a couple of months. Wow! So now, um, how do people apply for your surgical assistance program? Basically, what happens is you have to have a doctor's, um, almost like a slip. Um, it's what um, we have, sorry for stuttering, but you have to have um, obviously a problem and then uh, with your heart and then you go in and if your doctor says you're a good candidate for this, he um, you know, suggests that this is the plan for you. What we're trying to do is hook up with a Mayo Clinic to help us find the families to help, to mm. reach out to, because we were with a St. Joseph Hospital and now we're no longer, we broke off from them. So we would love to get hospitals involved with families that would love to put other you know, children into the clubs and the doctor refers them to the club and then they don't have to pay for anything. Just and, who, and who right. decides um, who, which families are going to get the funds? That the decision goes into um, Brandon Edgington, who runs our club for us, and I uh, basically um, we all have a, a board of trustees, and we put the families there, and we de- decide that you know what the size of the club is, and of course we help as many as we possibly can, and then those people take the club, and I'm, ass- I'm assuming that if you know if we can't take those people, we can put them for the next club and get as many clubs started as possible. But I would say the people that need it most are in need of it most would get the first, um, uh-huh. you know, availability for the club. And it's the same with the Surgical Assistance Fund. And the and um, could you just tell us a little bit more about what the Brian Luttrell Healthy Heart Club for Kids does, what the program is? It's for kids 8 to 12 mm-hmm. who it's- have a heart condition or a strong disposition towards developing heart disease. And what do they do? Um, basically, yeah, anybody with, like, elevated cholesterol, asthma, blood pressure. Uh, we Obviously, it's an emphasis the club is on preventing the heart-related problems. And so children learn how to live a healthy heart club, you know, a healthy heart style. So we teach them exercise. We teach them good eating habits um, because too many p- kids sit in front of the TV and play the video games and watch the cartoons. And, yes. you know, we'd have them, rather have them up and, you know, doing something interactive, and also teaching, you know, them to teach their parents, no, I don't want this hamburger, I'd much rather mm-hmm. have, you know, because, you know, if you think about it, they don't eat enough fruits and vegetables, it's not really offered. So we really want to teach the kids exercise and watching, you know, your nutrition and doing it in a very fun way that they can relate to. And um, do you have already over four, over 100 people, over 100 children have already been graduated from the program. That's amazing. That's wonderful. And we still keep in contact with the families and um, the children and hmm. write letters and, you know, try to make sure that they're staying on the right track. And um, what's important is that this age group, you know, for kids 8 to 12 approximately, mm-hmm. um, if they learn these things now, you know, good ex- how to incorporate exercise into their life and nutrition and uh, education. I also you also have counseling for the children. We yes, we will. Um, and uh, I, I keep saying we will because we don't have a club right now. But yes, they have 
Well, you have done and you will again. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't have one right now going, and that's what we're working um, on to get um, our, our second, our, I don't know how many clubs we had, we've had, to tell you the truth. It's been so many, um, but we're getting another one going now, and we want to be there in any way possible. Counseling, we have a doctor on our board that if the parents have any questions about heart, that they can call him to him and ask them. Well, where should people, um, I hear the music again, so that means that we need to um, wrap this up. up. And the most important thing is giving people a website to go to so that they can find out more and contact you with, um, certainly if they'd like to donate funds, but also if they'd like to, you know, be advised when you're going to be starting another um, session of the club. It's healthyheartclub.org. Okay. Healthyheartclub.org. And uh, is there a way for people to, is there a, Way for people to um, be contacted to put their name on a list. Yeah, there's a mailing list. There's a message boards. There's um, photo galleries, video clips, personal stories. There's everything you could possibly want on this store. Uh, store. I'm looking at the online store, the website. I'm sorry. There's also things to I'm buy like, on the store. I'm like, okay, it says on my store. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Unconsciously. Well, and all the, the, uh, all the contributions from that online store <laughs> go to the foundation. Absolutely, absolutely. We just revamped the whole, um, all the merchandising, so that's another thing. To make it cool for the folks. Yes, yes. Well, I'm sure, um, <laughs> I'm sure that there, that it's, it helps a lot that um, the Backstreet Boys, that Brian is a part of the Backstreet Boys, yes. and that that's able to uh, to assure kids that it is cool. It's not just some, <laughs> not just something started by doctors. This is a cool club to belong well, to. We want to make it cool for them to. Be, we want them to be cool to stay in shape, and it's not right. dorky. You know, right. we don't. We want them to make it cool. Yes. Well, absolutely. Well, this certainly certainly is a way to do it, and that that really is a, that story of how um, you know of how he how Brian's path got changed from uh, from directly going into singing in the ministry or singing religious songs to first becoming part of a hit group and then um, being able to draw attention to your foundation is just a pretty incredible story. So. Well, thank you very much for joining us. That's Leanne Luttrell, the wife of Backstreet Boys, Brian Luttrell. The organization is called the Brian Luttrell Healthy Heart Club for Kids, and it's also the surgical assistance program that they have in motion. And um, go to the website, which is healthyheartclub.org, and do read all the stories and put your name on the list. And, uh, you know, whether your child... Um, has a healthy heart or not, the idea of teaching them uh, to incorporate exercise and good nutrition and um, counseling to feel good about themselves into their life at an early age is uh, something that all kids need, whether they have a healthy heart or not. So um, I hope this show today has touched your hearts and that you will look at um, both of the organizations, websites, and um, find out more about these things and think about, think about them in relation to your own health and uh, the health of your children and also to make a donation to help other people who perhaps aren't as fortunate. So thank you for joining us. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, 
You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch on VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.